Welcome to the God's Goodness Podcast, where our mission is to encourage as well as highlight God's goodness and modern day miracles. We are your hosts, Josh and Shelley Hankins. Today, we'd like to welcome our second guest, and he's a very special person to us. And uh, his name is John Kent. He's a pastor, and he's got some other qualifications, I'm sure, that go along with that, with all the teachings you've learned. So we're going to learn a little bit about how God has been good to him, and we're going to ask him to lead us in the opening prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for the privilege of worshiping you, of following you. We're grateful for your call and invitation to follow you in all of our lives. And tonight, I pray that you would simply bless this conversation. May you be honored and glorified in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 So one of the things that I have been led to do is, well, this podcast, (laughs) but then the other way was what direction to go with it. And what I wanted to do is ask my guests to pray about what the Holy Spirit would lead them to share, because, you know, they might know something. Well, the Holy Spirit knows everything, but they might have a story that I don't know about that they are destined to share at this point in time to help the most amount of people. And so we asked him to pray about it. And so he's going to share with us what he's been led to. Thank you very much, Josh and Shelley. Thank you for inviting me to be on this podcast. It's a tremendous honor. Thanks for being with us. Yeah. So as I was pondering uh, what to share tonight, I couldn't help but reflect on a moment in the life of David when, you know, God made a covenant with him. He called this young man to take the place of King Saul. You know, he just works through David's life. And there comes a point when David goes in before the Lord and he says this, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Can you say which verse that is? And that is in uh, Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 17, 16. 1 Chronicles 17, 16. Thank you. I read that years ago, and it just spoke very deeply to me then. When I think about my own life and my own journey, I just can't help but say, who am I that you have brought me this far, uh, given where I came from and what my background was? It's just, to me, it's an astounding thing to sit here with you today and even know that this is happening. (laughs) I was thinking of this verse earlier this year after I got the idea of the podcast, like he thought of me to carry this out and carry messages from all mm-hmm. all those followers, you know, so they can speak into the lives of other people that, mm-hmm. have, go, or that are going through the same challenges. God is growing us, you know, we're masterpieces in the making. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I remembered the verse mm-hmm. and uh, it brought me to tears because it's so powerful to mm-hmm. think like he cared enough to think like, that's what I want you to do. Right. That somehow he looks across the span of eternity and sees me, yeah. <laughs> you, any of us around the table, that he sees us and chooses us is is an amazing mm-hmm. thing. For sure. Yeah, I have a, a similar passage, which is, who is man that you would be mindful of him? Mm-hmm. And that's always resonated with me. Because 
I think oftentimes we like to reflect on our inadequacies and our inability to produce good works without God. Mm-hmm. And so he reminds us who we are to him through the sacrifice of his son, through his loving compassion, through his continued support of us, even when we do some of the dumbest things. Yeah. Um, I'm very grateful to God for the journey that I'm on. It's Amen. a wild ride, that's for sure. <laughs> My journey or just in general? <laughs> Ours together. Was, well, yeah, before and together, you know. I'll just kind of lean into the story. And it always amazes me, again, reflecting back, who am I? You know, I, I was just raised in a condition of deep poverty in Western Pennsylvania. We were not churchgoers. We were basically unchurched people. And uh, my grandmother occasionally came and took us to church now and then. But it wasn't anywhere near a part of our, of our life. My dad was a severe alcoholic. And he, he smoked like 100 cigarettes a day, three to five packs a day. He smoked. It was just like crazy. And I'll, I'll never forget, you know, in this out of this place of poverty, and there was tremendous amounts of abuse in my home, uh, not so much toward us kids. I was the oldest of six, but my, you know, my dad and mom just fought a lot, just tremendous amounts of screaming and yelling and throwing things and blood and just just messy. It was just a messy, traumatic home to grow up in. And, you know, I, I remember my dad, you know, he's smoking three to five packs a day. He would sometimes stick his finger in my face and say, if I ever catch you smoking, I'll beat you to within an inch of your life, right? <laughs> this is with a cigarette hanging out of his <laughs> mouth. And I'll never forget, you know, Josh and Shelley, that the greatest influence over our lives are not words so much as, as the example of those around us. And mm-hmm. I'll never forget a moment came. I was 14 years old. And my mom had actually become a Christian several couple of years earlier. But I was 14 years old, and I asked my dad to take me camping, to drop me off at the end of the road. He was on his way to work on a Sunday afternoon. And he dropped me off, and that night was the first time I smoked. Mm. was also the very last time I ever saw my dad. Wow. Uh, The next day, he was killed. He was only 35. I was 14, Mm. oldest of six, but he was killed. I had a heart attack while driving a tractor trailer at age 35. Mm. And uh, if he wasn't dead from the heart attack, he was killed instantly from the load of steel he was carrying when the truck wrecked. My 14-year-old brain did something that I think happens to many of us. You know, it takes life events and interprets them and applies them to our lives. And for me, that looked like this. My 14-year-old brain simply said, God killed my dad to punish me. Mm. I really couldn't have even enunciated that lie, but it was just there. Wow. It was just there in the background. And, you know, I ended up about a year later, I ended up going off out of this place of deep poverty to a Christian boarding school. And I went there and it was like the best thing on earth to me. (laughs) It was an escape from the pain and trauma of, of the life that we lived. I loved the school, but I wanted nothing to do with God because I believed deeply that he'd killed my dad to punish me. And so I went through, you know, three years of this Christian high school. 
loved it, but I wanted nothing to do with God. After I was done with school, I ended up hitchhiking the nation, coast to coast, you know, just hitchhike the nation, trying to find meaning to life, you know, trying, searching for answers. And I'll never forget, three months later, I'm on the way back. And I always knew I was coming back because I knew I needed to be there for my mom and my brothers and sisters. And on the way back, I just said, I'm going to give my mother's God a try. When I landed back in Western PA, I got a job and I began working and supporting my mom and brothers and sisters, helping them. And But every night I'd go to my room and I'd open up the Bible. And I, I said this, I said, if God is God and this is his word, then he should be able to speak to me. I didn't want anybody to study with me. I just said, God is God. This is his word. He should be able to speak to me. And so I have no overnight conversion experience. There's just not a moment like that that I can recollect. All I remember is one day after several months, I just woke up and knew I wanted to follow Jesus. Hmm. You know, I, I knew that Jesus was his life, his ministry, everything about Jesus attracted me. And so I, I made that decision. You know, I, I yielded my heart to Jesus and I began following him. So at this time, did you still believe that God was punishing you for that cigarette? In truth, yes. So how hard was it to lean in to the scripture, to lean in mm -hmm. to God, to trust your mother's God, mm -hmm. feeling that he was had punished you in such a way that literally crippled you and traumatized you mm -hmm. emotionally and spiritually? Mm -hmm. You know, great question, Josh. You know, I, I think there's a disjuncture in all of our minds or in many of our minds. You know, we can say God loves me, <laughs> right? We can say that intellectually, but not really believe it at the heart level. And I think that's the issue. I knew as I read, I wanted this God. I knew this had to be. Jesus was somebody that I wanted to be like, and I wanted to follow. And I believed he had salvation for me. But this lie, it just operated in the background. And I was unfortunately mentored into a church, and I think a lot of people have this background too, that was pretty works-oriented. Mm. you know, quite works oriented. And so how did this look? How do I describe this? It just felt like I need to prove myself worthy of God's love, mm. right? That, that's the issue. I had to prove to God that I was worthy to be loved. So when I was growing up, I felt very conditionally loved by my father. Did you ever feel conditionally loved by your father oh. as if you know, he didn't give you the praise you needed every minute, but only when you performed at a level of his expectation. I actually rarely, I don't know if I have any memories, maybe one of my father ever affirming me. Oh, okay. That just didn't happen in our place. We're more likely to be cursed at than, than affirmed. So, yeah, so, so absolute conditional love. Absolute conditional love. Every, yeah, I, I just, it was all conditional love. And so in my, in my journey said, I want to follow Jesus, and yet this background lie operating that God had killed my dad to punish me. And again, I said, I don't know that I could have enunciated it at the time. It wasn't like something that I consciously knew. It was just operating in the background. Mm -hmm. And so that led me into this life of ministry workaholism. You know, I became part of a ministry. We, I landed in New York City where I met Belinda. <laughs> 
And we spent eight years there, you know, in service to God. But it was also quite behaviorally oriented. <laughs> the words of grace were there, you know, we're saved by grace, but the action, the pressure to live or behave at a certain level was there all the time. Mm. And so I threw myself into ministry, you know, to prove to God that I was worth being loved. Mm. So eventually we spent eight years in New York City and then went to Papua New Guinea. We were called as missionaries to Papua New Guinea. And, I thought it was Papua New Guinea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Papua. <laughs> P-A-P-U-A. Voice to text puts a Papua. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Papua New Guinea. You know, and it was just this incredible journey. And God, I in want to just... In the jungle. Yeah, in the jungle. I want to tell you, I mean, here's the astounding truth. That even in our brokenness, God will still use us, mm -hmm. right? He used us in New York City. And, and then... Uh, and, and how did he do that? Oh, just in our ministry, you know, in reaching people and serving people and encouraging people and speaking in churches. And, you know, we had, we had a street ministry to reach out to... New Yorkers, and you know, we there was there's a lot of stories there, Shelley. Yeah, that can't have been easy. I've, I've been to New York. Uh, there's a lot of stories there too. But you know, a, a day came when we knew that we needed to leave New York. And in truth be told, I actually lost my experience with God. I just woke up one day and realized I didn't even know the God I was serving anymore because this ministry was just demanding. And in the process of it, I lost my experience with Jesus. Hmm. And that's when we realized, you know, uh, man, something's got to change. And I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail, but there's an amazing story of God calling us to New Guinea, right? Out of a place of brokenness, mm -hmm. out of a pain of feeling lost and hopeless and yet still longing to, to honor God. And so we landed in, in Papua New Guinea, you know, and, you know, we're living. We were called to work with this tribal group deep in the jungle there, you know, 270 miles from the nearest town, uh, 180 miles by log canoe, like, you know, 270 miles from town first, 90 in a mud road through the jungle, and then 180 miles in a log canoe to get to our tribal group. And just remoteness and isolation and immersion in this culture. And no know, one speaks English with you. No one spoke English. And there were literally people there who remembered the taste of human flesh, who were cannibals, you know, in their day, a few years before we got there. But, but you know, just, just an incredible journey. And God used us there. And God began to alter, you know, there, were, there was success, there were moments of failure. And we felt the failure and prayed and sought God. And he began to alter my view of, of himself and and my place in my experience in relationship with him. But after eight years, uh, some events transpired and we had to come home. And uh, there was no moral failure, <laughs> nothing like that, nothing that we necessarily did wrong except this. As my ministry grew in New Guinea, the demands to be gone from New Guinea also grew. Mm -hmm. I began to train missionaries and our organization began to ask me to leave more, you know, to leave the project, to come to back to the U.S. to train other missionaries. Mm -hmm. 
And, and in that process, because of my performance-driven nature, because I was trying to be approved, I always had this deep insecurity about my acceptance with God, my acceptance with others. And so every time the leader of our organization would ask me to come back to the U.S., I would say yes. <laughs> and the first year, it was a couple of weeks, and then it ended up being three weeks and four weeks, and five, and I'd be gone six weeks at a time. And Belinda's without and Belinda me. is without me in the jungle, deep in the jungle, with kids. With kids. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we went there with a five, three, and 18-month-old, and then had a daughter while we were there. How was her Papua New Guinea speaking skills compared to yours? She could communicate fine. Yeah, she could communicate. I had it because I spent a lot more time in the jungle, you know, with the people, I had a probably a greater level of fluency, but she, but she could communicate fine. You know, I was just asking, you know, to see what her mindset would have been closer to be like, mm -hmm. knowing that she was alone with kids and the speaker that was more attuned to the language was not there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it inevitably created resentment, you know, the, the amount of time that I, I ended up being away because I couldn't say no, mm -hmm. because to say no would risk disapproval, hmm. would risk, you know, not getting opportunities maybe in the future. You know, again, it was, I had to prove my worth. And that, that led to us eventually needing to leave Papua New Guinea just for my, for the family's sake, because I couldn't say no. And when we came home during the years in New Guinea, I really felt as if God had created me for the purpose of being there. Hmm that I was born to be there. God gave me just skills that I had a unique ability to connect with people, even across these cultures, you know, language. And it just felt like I was crafted for that purpose. And so when we ended up coming home, I actually went into a deep depression. I really struggled. And I'm not a depressive person. I think you guys yeah, yeah, know, know that. I'm not prone to, to depression, but I really struggled. When we came home and I, I came home to a, a significant position. I came home to be the director of training for our mission agency. Mm. And that led to a series of decisions that were really impactful because of my deep struggles. I threw myself every year into missionary training. We, every summer we had a significant 12 week missionary program training program that I developed. And God, it was blessed. Again, God uses, right? It's amazing, even in our mistakes. But in that space, I would, every single summer, I would neglect my family hmm. because I was desperately trying to gain worth from the accolades I received from being one of the best missionary trainers around. <laughs> and then all the subsequent speaking appointments that came with that colleges, universities, high schools, you know, speaking about missions. And so every summer, often at the end of many summers, we'd be in some level of marital counseling mm. <laughs> year after year after year. And the time came, I was just lost. I was tired. I was weary. I was ready to leave God, to leave our marriage, to leave ministry. I was just at a point of I just can't do this anymore. It felt like I was trying to please a God who was never quite pleased enough. Hmm. I just, I could never quite reach the level that I felt like God was pleased. I had mentioned something before 
with another group of people. But it's it's funny how we try to impress God with the gifts he gives us. Mm-hmm. And then when it falls short of impressing him because, you know, he's given us those gifts, we often feel a certain kind of way, depressed or sadness, as if we don't meet his approval. Mm-hmm. And you are not alone in that. <laughs> yes, I know that to be true. And that's why I'm so excited about this last part of the story. Mm-hmm. At the end of one particular summer, I went to see our counselor, and she said this to me. She was a Christian counselor, but she said to me, John, she said, I realize as a Christian using the secular practices of psychology that about the very best I can do is take miserable people and make them unhappy. (laughs) And so, and she said, you know, I've been being mentored by a man in Ashland, Ohio, and he has agreed to see you. Would you be willing to go? And I was at this desperate space of saying, I just, I said yes. So we set up a date, and I believe it was about 20 years ago, this month, I think. (laughs) 20 years ago this month, I'll never forget getting up on a Monday morning and driving four hours from southwestern Michigan, where we lived at the time, to Ashland, Ohio, and to the campus of Ashland Theological Seminary to meet a man by the name of Dr. Terry Wardle. And I went into his office, tiny little office, and my counselor was there with Dr. Wardle, and we just chatted for a few moments. And In those few moments, we connected over the realization that he was also from Western Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So a few minutes of chitter chatter, and then he said, John, let's pray. And so we closed our eyes and Dr. Wardle invited the Holy Spirit to come into the room. And then there was a long period of silence, almost uncomfortable silence. (laughs) And then he said to me, John, here's what I want you to do. He said, I'd like you to just imagine a safe place. I want you to imagine a place where you could feel safe. He said, it might be a place from your childhood, or it might be a place in the woods or mountains, or it might be imaginary, but just ask Jesus to give you that picture. And I struggled a little bit, I'll be honest. So what's what's this weirdness going on, you know? But eventually I calmed down and I was able to, all of a sudden the picture came to me of my childhood on my grandfather's farm, down along the west branch of the Susquehanna River and hemlocks and rhododendron. And it was a place I always felt so safe. And I just could see myself there. And then he said, I described that to him. And he said, John, could you invite Jesus to join you there? And the truth is, Shelley and Josh, I I couldn't because I was confident he wouldn't want to be with me. Mm. At the deepest level, I I knew that Jesus wouldn't want to be with me. Like that original wound was still with you. Still with me all these years later and having been used by God in some profound ways. And I struggled. And so with Dr. Wardle's gentle nurturing, I was finally able to ask Jesus to, to join me, to make his presence known. 
And after a moment, I could see him in my mind. I could see Jesus join me. I was sitting by a little fire there in the midst of the hemlock and rhododendron. And and, and he came and he joined me there. And so I described that I could see and sense Jesus. And then Dr. Wardle said this. He said, John, if you could ask Jesus anything, what would you ask him? And I said immediately, I'd want to know if I was in the center of his will. And Dr. Wardle leaned forward and said, what? (laughs) That's all you would want to know? Because he sensed that really the core of that question, I'm wanting to know, do I measure up? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Have I measured up, Lord? Am I doing the right thing at the right time in the right way? Am I in the center of your will? That question was rooted in my very wounding, in the lie I'd carried all these years. And he just said, try again. (laughs) (laughs) You can ask him any question, just not that one. (laughs) And all of a sudden, from deep down in the pit of my stomach, the question arose. And at the beginning, you guys, it may not feel that much different, but it's deeply different to me. And the question simply was, Jesus, what do you think about me? Hmm. What do you think about me? I said that to Dr. World. Dr. World said, ask him. (laughs) It's probably one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. There in the presence of Jesus, in my mind's imagination to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, what do you think about me? As I kind of stuttered those words out, before they even got out, the words of God, Jesus' voice spoke so deeply, so loudly to me that it it was almost overwhelming. And that voice, the voice of Jesus said this in that moment, John, you are my treasure. Mm. I love you. You are unbelievable to me. And I broke down weeping and weeping and weeping and sobbing. And Dr. Wardle said, what did he say? (laughs) And I said, he, he said, I'm his treasure and he loves me and I'm unbelievable to him. And there was a moment of pause. And then Dr. Wardle said this, John, what does a treasure do? Nothing. It does nothing. It has value simply because somebody puts value on it. And that moment, Josh and Shelley broke 22 years of ministry workaholism when for the first time in my Christian life, I knew that I was loved by God simply because I took in air and space, (laughs) right? That I was loved by God no matter what. That moment broke 22 years of ministry workaholism. You went from conditional love to immediate unconditional love. Absolutely. How freeing did that feel? Oh, man. (laughs) It was like a 10-ton weight came off of my chest in that moment. And how did that improve every other aspect from that moment forward? Good question. That's a long story, but I'll just tell you this, that on that day, on that day, 
my wife, Belinda, almost committed suicide. Oh, my. She was laying on the bathroom floor in our home, ready to take pills. Because once again, all the attention was on me. I was getting help, and she was being left behind. Hmm. That's probably a story for another another moment. I think I think at that other moment we should we should get that story from Belinda. From Belinda, yeah. But my life was altered, and when I came home, Belinda knew it. I shared with her what had happened, and then God began to put pieces into place that would eventually lead both she and I to go spend another weekend just a few weeks later with Dr. Wardle. And in those moments, God did the most transformational healing experience for both of us. Another deeper level of personal healing for me, a brand new healing for Belinda, and a, you know, a healing and renewal of our marriage that was just astounding. Mm. So you felt whole and she felt seen. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. incredible. <laughs> yeah, good. I really enjoy you. I love you. I appreciate you. And I'm so grateful that we met all those years ago. Mm -hmm. And I, I just hope to see you again on this show. I hope to hear from Belinda. I know that you have a lot of stories, not just because you're venerable, but because you just have a lot of stories and you've experienced a lot with God. You've encountered a lot with God and you're a great spokesman. I enjoy you. Yeah, thank you very much. We enjoy you too, you and Shelly both. Uh, you've been a blessing. And, you know, back to the verse, who am I? Who are we? Yeah. That God has seen us and has chose us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, chosen us and condescends to use us by his grace. Yeah. I right. would totally read your book when you write these stories down. <laughs> I'll illustrate I'll, it for you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll buy one of the books in the pre-sale. <laughs> That's a task on the stove. <laughs> so I do have a joke for you. Uh-oh. Did you know that when a canoe flips over, you can wear it as a hat because it's capsized? <laughs> That's pretty good. It reminded me when you were talking about the canoes going down Papua New Guinea and the rivers. <laughs> I wanted to say it then, but it wasn't the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'd be honored to share anything I can in the future to encourage and bless your group. Thank oh, my so goodness. Much. Remember when Terry Ann had so much to share about how the podcast had helped her at one moment. I can't wait to see who you've helped mm -hmm. with the affirmation that we're not alone, right? You're not the only treasure mm -hmm. yes, that, that we're all a treasure. And we and none of us can do anything to have that, that value or worth assigned to us except mm -hmm. by the person who sees us as the treasure. Mm -hmm. And I hope that that enriches somebody and blesses them and that they come off feeling a little bit more unconditionally loved than they did before. I know with the way we are as people, it's very easy to come off as feeling unloved. Mm -hmm. I've told Shelly before in sharing that, you know, God's commandments, the, the two most important ones are love God with everything above everything. Mm -hmm. I'm summarizing. And the second is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people struggle with loving their neighbor because they don't love themselves. Absolutely. And I think this will really help some people unlock the gears that have been frozen, mm -hmm. um, you know, WD-40 them, so to speak, so they can get the thought process back to going, 
and to what God thinks of them. Mm -hmm. um, they might have a better self-esteem. They might have better just God esteem that, that there is a creator that made them for a purpose of relationship mm -hmm. with him mm -hmm. and that he can't wait to spend eternity with them. That just makes me so happy to think about that because that is a very freeing moment. I, I know what it's like to have that moment where you just, it's just, it's wonderful. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Josh and Shelley, thank you so much for inviting me. Oh yeah. Anytime. <laughs> it was good. And uh, thank you all for listening. And I'll just wrap up this episode reminding everyone that maybe you don't even know. We have a Give, Send, Go campaign. And if you look that up, it's givesendgo.com. If you want to help us with the financial items that it takes to get this podcast going. So if you look that up and then go to God's Goodness Podcast, you'll find it and then be able to donate. And we would greatly appreciate the gift and put it to good use. And if this episode or any of the episodes have been a blessing to you, we would greatly appreciate that you share them and be an encouragement to others. Thanks so much. And we'll talk to you next time.